You're listening to Bits and Pieces on Sunrise Robot. I'm one of your hosts, Michael Edwards from Denver, Colorado. And I'm a Duncan from Gelsenkirchen, Germany. We thrive on the support of our listeners, so head to sunriserobot.net slash support and see some ways you can help us out. All right, we're here with episode 45 of Bits and Pieces. And uh, we do have a little follow-up. Your EP's been out for a little bit longer now, and you might have some interesting data to share with us. Yeah, just a little bit. So um, what I did between last week and this week is I spontaneously bought an ad on Reddit. Um, not an ad on the side pane, but like one of those threads just that just appear at the top every time. Um, just a few numbers there. I spent $25, $25 US on this, uh, which got me or bought me 16,666 impressions. So <laughs> at some point, some, so at some point they had to divide by three there, which I always find annoying. Um, and, um, I was just thinking, come on, let's do this. I, as I, as I described last episode, I really dread posting things on Reddit and I felt a little bit better that way because it's like, People are going to see it. They know I bought an ad. Nobody's going to complain. Oh, you're just posting your own stuff because yes, I paid for it. Um, now what came out of it is, um, let me see about 30 downloads, no sales, which I'm okay with. Just okay. Um, <laughs> okay. Then, um, last YouTube channel did okay. Um, I know that people are not going to click on, on the, the promotion video as much as they're going to click on a speed pain video because we all know what they had to subscribe for. They, they're coming yeah. for the paintings, not for the, necessarily for the music. Although I've gotten the feedback that I've gotten there was positive all the way through. So, um, a lot of people liked it on there. And I actually got a sale on Baboom. So on release day, I was like, oh yeah, Baboom is a thing. Uh, let me just quickly put my stuff on there. And actually a day later, they tweeted my album um, oh. and few people liked it. And I got $3 out of it or three euros because the Australian dollar is so weak right now. <laughs> so when you make a sale on Baboom, do you like in your head just go, Boom, or anything like that. I'm going to from now on, so I hope it's going to happen again. <laughs> I mean, I know Bandcamp always has That's that ching thing. Yeah, <laughs> I always do that in my head. Yeah, so from now on, it's going to be Baboom. But yeah, I was pleasantly surprised that there's actually traffic happening on Baboom, um, which, as we talked about before, I think it's just because it's full of indie indie music and indie stuff, and there aren't those big artists on there, so the playing field is actually leveled quite a bit on there. Cool. And you have a gig report to share of your last gig with Montropo. Yeah. So uh, we played a, a holiday-themed show at the Lion's Lair, a place we've been to several times this year. And uh, it was a pretty enjoyable gig. And uh, it's my first show back with them since I uh, since my dad died. And I went back to Ohio and kind of took a little break for a second. And... Uh, this was uh, also my last show with Montropo because I am going to focus on some new things musically and otherwise. And I uh, wanted to kind of take a little hiatus. And the show was, uh, we, we actually played, I'll, I'll find it for the show notes. We played this, uh, weird Christmas carol folk song. And, uh, it's kind of a ridiculous song. I mean, the song is, seems to be earnest. Like it's not a joke song. But the song is ridiculous, and it's got like these very wordy, overly poetic verses about why we celebrate this time of the year, and like uh, 
uh, Andres picked it out and we just, uh, it's kind of in a, it's in a waltz and like a sea shanty kind of thing. And we just kind of, uh, tried to sell it and get the audience to learn the chorus with us. And so that was a lot of fun. And, and then we also played a full set of Montropo songs too. And, uh, it seemed pretty well received and, uh, you know, was more satisfying than another recent Lions Lair show we had. So I was happy to have a positive way to go out, uh, with the band. Yeah. Great to hear. Yeah. So keep that place warm. Um, you might have to return to it soon, although you don't play with Montropa anymore. <laughs> so we do have some newsy topics this, this time. Uh, there's a weird story about, uh, Taylor Swift stealing some artists, uh, drawing for a social media campaign. And, uh, it turns out this, this kind of a little complicated story to kind of follow all the threads. But, uh, um, basically the person who they did hire or whose art they did hire had clearly copied this other person's artwork. And the original person said, Hey, that's mine. You know, I should get paid for my work. You can't just, you know, get a facsimile. And, uh, you know, the, the internet pitchfork brigade kind of turned on this artist saying, um, you know, you're, you're just greedy, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, there's, there's also some weird things going on with, uh, Taylor's, I don't know if it's like her handlers or her team or whoever was like the liaison in this. Um, they basically had an offer to pay for this thing, but only if the person gave it to charity. And it's just like, this is my artwork. You can't buy it from me on your own terms and decide what I get to do with the proceeds <laughs> of that, that licensing. Um, but you know, I think it's an awkward situation all around. I get, I, I would be surprised if Taylor Swift was personally involved in the fuck up, but nonetheless, it's kind of when you have a big machine like that, these things can happen. And I'm always sad to see an artist and it's one of those things you see that's like this Fox drawing and you're like, Oh, did they just draw a similar one? And this artist is throwing a hissy fit. But no, when you see it, it's like, no, you clearly based it on hers. And uh, I'm, I'm always sad to see an artist that finally does stand up and say, Hey, I created this. You need to compensate me for my work. And when, when people decide to attack that person as entitled, that's frustrating. It really is a weird situation. Um, what I'm just thinking is, so they hired somebody to, to make an artwork who then copied this. So clearly I would think that the fault lies with this person who should then the copier. Yeah, the copier who should more or less compensate the original artist with whatever he he or she had been paid with, and then Taylor Swift's people can say, "Oh yeah, um, I mean, clearly, if that is the situation, how could they have known? I mean, yeah. you're paying somebody to create artwork for you. Um, you believe them that they are creating this? Like you aren't. Uh, if, if I tell somebody to, somebody to draw me something." Um, I'm not going to go around the internet searching if they copied them. I'm going to trust them. And so I can understand how Taylor Swift's people would say like, nah, nah. I mean, it is their problem, but I can see a little bit of no, not, it's not completely our problem. Like deal, deal with this person. But yeah, for some they reason, infringed this, on you. yeah, but for some reason, this part of the story isn't really, um, very prominent right now. It's just all about the original artist and Taylor Swift directly, more or less. Um, I mean, in, in this open letter, she mentions her and how Taylor Swift um, has fought for the rights of musicians and this whole Spotify thing that we talked about as well. Um, and now this situation happens and it completely goes against everything she said. And as you said, 
probably Taylor Swift doesn't really even know about this all that much, <laughs> uh, unless this has been escalated by now through Twitter or whatever. Um, but it is a weird situation, and I think th this this copy copier he should be or she should should be the one who's being asked to. I, I guess forward the money that, uh, yeah. I mean, uh, there isn't much that had been done. It is, a, it is a one on one copy. I think it was just some text that was added, which are basically, I guess, lyrics by Taylor Swift anyway. Yeah. So I don't know. Uh, it, it seems something like it's so easy to solve and everybody's making it complicated. It's, it's a comedy of errors. <laughs> it's, it's like every bad soap opera. If you would just yeah. talk to each other, this would be over. <laughs> There would be Man, nothing happening. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and other weird news, really weird news. Um, let me pull this article up because I have to quote it. I have to start this by saying it's amazing that in the year 2015, we have the FBI, the actual FBI <laughs> tweeting, please leave us alone. We don't have this Wu-Tang Clan album. <laughs> now, what is this all about? So we have to, to rewind a few months there. Um, Wu-Tang Clan produced and released, in air quotes, an album with only one copy. So th there's only one record in existence of this, of this release. And they pretty much sold it to other highest bidder. And now from this, I mean, there, there are a few situations that can, that can spawn from this. So of course the rich person buys it and they keep it to themselves or they buy it and they play to select audience like every once in a while. Yeah. Um, they can buy it and then leak it on the internet so everybody has it. Or just some something like a museum or something buys it and mm -hmm. they put it on exhibition and then, I don't know. So obviously the first thing happened. Rich person buys it, keeps them to themselves. <laughs> now it's just not anybody who bought it. <laughs> no, it's this douchebag pharma CEO who's been jacking up prices for incredibly important medication in the last few months who has just been arrested just one week before Christmas and the internet is rejoicing all the way through. Yeah. And now everybody wants to know, where's the <laughs> Wu-Tang Clan album? <laughs> and this is such a crazy story and it gets even weirder. So not only are people pestering the FBI because of this Wu-Tang Clan album <laughs> who have gone out and said publicly, we don't have it right now. <laughs> um, we don't have a warrant. We're not allowed to seize yeah. it. <laughs> the contract for um, buying this album has this clause in it which says at any point in time any person from the Wu-Tang Clan affiliated or Bill Murray are allowed to <laughs> attempt to steal this in a heist to, to steal the album back with no legal repercussions whatsoever <laughs> anybody from the Wu-Tang Clan there's or no Bill way Murray that holds are, up <laughs> are allowed to 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 steal this album and um, after this whole thing, Wu-Tang Clan tweeted out, we're really getting the urge to call Bill Murray. <laughs> what? 20, 2015 is such a crazy year. <laughs> my God. Yeah. This is the definition of like, you couldn't make this up. No, no, I wouldn't have believed this. If you have told me in the beginning of 2015, this is going to happen, I would know. No, this is <laughs> and only Bill Murray. Like it sounds like a horrible movie pitch. Like some jerk gets arrested and he has this one rare album, and Bill Murray's gonna steal it. What the hell are you going on about? 
So now everybody just wants to hear this album and um, everybody's just uh, reposting the same three, four photos of this guy getting arrested, <laughs> looking looking really sad. He's looking like uh, the hacker guy from House of Cards. Um, oh, man. That's, that's a good reference there. But but nothing about it. I mean, it, it was a crazy PR stunt, like an experiment, just releasing this one album. Like, I can't see any other artist now repeating that because uh, it's already happened. Um, but, man, that well, seems most like the greatest promotion right now. <laughs> <laughs> I could sarcastically say most artists do repeat this. It's just no rich person buys it. They just yeah. release their album for no one. <laughs> They're a Wu-Tang Clan and they don't have Bill Murray in their contract. <laughs> I think Bandcamp should add that to their agreement. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like they only allow one download and then it shuts down? Only Bill Murray can download this. <laughs> <laughs> so what did Tom York say? <laughs> Is that the start of a joke? <laughs> it, sound, it sounds like a really bad joke. What did Tom York say? What What did Tom York say? Uh, he had some stupid physical media things to say. Um there's this Ars Technica article about Tom York complaining about streaming services, which maybe is the more reasonable thing to be concerned about or, or think about. Um, but in this, uh, you've got this quote you pulled out where he talks about the physicality of vinyl and the, there's a relationship, even physical. There's direct contact. You, you have to take the album and select it and put it in a bag. And, uh, that this rapport doesn't exist with digital media. And so it's just the classic, like, it's tangible and you have a relationship with it and you write letters to it. And I don't know, like for some reason there's this magical potency. It's just, I have a relationship with the music, not the medium that it is on. If it has a great artwork, of course I'm going to display it and I'm going to like looking at it. But in the end I'm coming here for the music. And if the music is an MP3 file or it's on a CD or on a vinyl, it, it's still the same song. And that's what I like. And that's yeah. what I want to hear. Well, and I mean, I, I know my Marshall McLuhan, the medium is the message. Like the, the way you encounter and use media is part of the experience. But what I don't agree with is this alter of physical media being always automatically better than digital or always more meaningful. It's like they're different. And so there's things to talk about how that makes the experience different. But that one is not better. It's just, I don't know, I'm, I'm tired of this crap. <laughs> um, so reading the story, I, I thought about how in, in the last two years, I've kind of developed um, the feeling of being okay with paying for strictly digital music. Although I always liked Bandcamp, um, I always felt strange buying an MP3. I always felt like, okay, if I buy something, at least I want to have something physical. So it's mm -hmm. easier to, to justify buying it. But in the last two years, I've noticed that I've, I've, I've completely changed on that. I'm just buying stuff on the internet now. I think it has to do with, um, I'm getting used to it through Steam. I don't know the last time I've, I've bought a physical video game and, I mean, Steam games, they're way more expensive than any music that I buy. So um, maybe that's just, that's what led to this. Um, so by now, I'm just buying music left and right on Bandcamp or Google Play Music and just getting the MP3s. And I'm okay with buying it. So I don't know. <laughs> what, what, how has that uh, been with you? Have you always bought MP3s? Or did you also feel like, ah, if I can, let me buy something physical? So uh, my split has always been... In 
again, I try not to be dogmatic about this with the whole media thing because I, I try to have an open mind that they're different, but um, I don't like CDs. I mean, they were nice in the, the iPod era when it was like, buy the CD, rip it, now you have it in a convenient way when download speeds or the convenience just wasn't there for um, iTunes downloads or anything. Um, but I, if I do that, it's I'll buy the vinyl and I hope it comes with a download code, um, but I'm, I'm not going to buy a CD anymore or any other format because they're, yeah. they're just a hassle. The, the plastic scratches, the case cracks, it's... The artwork's not big. All you see is half an inch of the side note where it's just the the title display, not even the artwork. Yeah, that's not a fun relationship with the media. Yeah. So Adele also complained a little bit. Almost the same same thing. Her opinion is basically, yeah, streaming is going to be the future, but I'm going to ignore it for now. (laughs) And I think that's that's dangerous. Um, I mean... I've I've noticed that the things I've noted down here is basically yeah I, sh- I think she's gonna she sees that the same way it's not like she's denying that streaming is a thing she's just saying that she doesn't really want to take part in it and she doesn't because she doesn't have a sp- stuff on Spotify all the other streaming services um, but what I found is uh, I think dangerous is she's a big artist she's supposed to be helping all of us out and I'm using air quotes again because I don't have any importance in the general music scene globally but she should she should be helping us out figuring out this business model that we now have to figure out because of music having less and less value every day or at least that's what people are saying um, that they are not buying stuff anymore they're just streaming and nobody knows how to stay afloat anymore except for something like a patreon model or something um, or ad revenue f- through some streams or something but um, she's basically just saying yeah you go figure that out i'm gonna cling to my past business model as long as i can yeah. And I don't like that. I, I think everybody should take part in figuring out what we are supposed to be doing with our music now and be maybe be able to live of it. Maybe we're all going to come to the conclusion of saying, yeah, only a handful of people are going to be able to live off of it and everybody else is screwed. Like that, <laughs> that is a likely outcome right now. But, um, yeah. I don't know. Please, please take part. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, yeah, you have this quote here of that, uh, She's like, maybe CDs will have a massive comeback like vinyl did. And I don't know the context. Bullshit. Maybe she, maybe she was being sarcastic there, but you just can't tell because it's just written. But um, people got to stop pretending that vinyls had a huge comeback. It's like a, the tiniest blip. I mean, we, we had the chart in an earlier episode, but um, vinyl is not coming back in an actual substantial way. Yeah. And no no number of record store days is going to change that. Yeah. Um, one, one more quote from her is, um, there are kids I know who are like nine who don't even know what a fucking CD is. Yeah. And they also don't know what cassettes are or what a gramophone looks like and music still exists. It, yeah. I don't see the problem here. We, we shouldn't be talking about the medium. We should be talking about the business model. And of course, the CD is, it belongs to this old business model, but it's just a symptom. It's, it's not, not what the actual uh, problem is right now. Yeah, the the consumer behavior that right. It's more the behavior of consuming the music, and of course the medium plays a role in that. But uh, it's all about the business model, and she's just 
yeah, clinging to this CD because with the CD it's easier to control. Like they they uh, sell the album to stores for a set price, and they're like, okay, so this is the money we're gonna get. Mm-hmm. And now everybody has to take a share, although we know that the big labels still get a bigger share than everybody else in those streaming services. So I don't know why they're even complaining. And <laughs> um, so it's it's kind of like I only put out my stuff on CDs so I can force there to be a value on it which I understand from this point. But as I said, it's, um, please, uh, everybody else still has to struggle with this. And somebody with influence should be there to help the rest. Yeah, I agree. There's one more CD-related. <laughs> yeah, speaking of CDs, um, I don't even know how I came up with this anymore, but um, I googled something and that was the first link that popped up. It's a forum of some company who makes hi-fi audio equipment, CD players and all that. And the question that's being asked here is how to run in CD player. I recently bought a new blah, blah, blah player and now I wonder how to run it in. <laughs> is it okay to just leave it on all time for a long time? I've read up to six weeks before it sounds as it should. Or is it, or, <laughs> or is the essential thing playing time? And I couldn't believe what I read there. Um, we're talking about a CD player which reads digital ones and zeros. information. <laughs> ones and zeros. It's not like, oh, this, at, at first this laser just reads like 0.25 and 0.75. <laughs> Even if it did, it's going to be rounded to one and zero. That's, that is not a problem there. Now, I thought, okay, I'm going to scroll down now. There's a lot of responses. People are going to say like, this is bullshit. No. No, there are all kinds of facets of, of, of shades of, um, yeah, you don't have to do it, but yeah, it, it makes a difference. And other people saying like, oh yeah, you have to do it, but you don't have to just play the same song every time. Just leave it on. That's all you need to do. It's like, what the, what, what is yeah. going on in this world? And these CD <sighs> players cost like thousands of dollars or at least one thousand dollars. Like it's, it's in the four figure, uh, numbers. I wonder. Uh, how much of that is like, I mean, we know this is a very psychological thing that, that people trick themselves into thinking different things sound better or different situations magically fix things. But is this just like a, a weird version of like, you know, when you first get new shoes, you're, you're like, whoa, these shoes are on my feet. And then like, <laughs> you know, within a day or a couple of days, your brain's like, oh, I know what that is. And it kind of shuts down and forgets about it because your brain is really good and efficient and says that's not important. Stop thinking about that. And is that what happens with like burning in like equipment? Like you get a new CD player and maybe it has a, an amp a preamp or, or some kind of situation where it sounds different than the way you were listening to music before. And so you decide that's weird. And then after six weeks, you don't notice anymore and you're comfortable with it. And you're like, ah, I I burned it in. Yay. It finally sounds right. Yeah. And the thing that is, if you change equipment to whatever else, there there are two things that can happen. Either you change something that really is objectively worse and you're going to notice, or it's just going to be different, but on the same level of quality. And then what kicks in is that it sounds fresh to you because it sounds different. It doesn't sound bad. It just sounds different. So it sounds fresh. And you think, Oh, this is way better until you get used to that. And then you go back to the other, to the other thing. And yeah, it's just people tricking themselves. And, um, yeah, the, the consequence of that is they are paying $1,000 for a CD player. <laughs> um, now the, the only thing here, the only caveat is, um, 
if this has if the CD player has like an analog amplifier in it and um it's it's it has an amplifier in it i can see how maybe using that thing for some time and warming it up can it's lead the to tubes, some kind the of tube amp. yeah the, the tube amp and the and the subtle compression that is happening and a little bit of distortion and harmonics those are proven those exist no no questions asked but if this thing just produces audio on line level if this is just reading data from a disc and <laughs> sending it out on line level and this this thing also only has um analog outputs there are no digital outputs on this so the moment this thing leaves the device through a cable um technically the sound deteriorates even just a little bit it deteriorates so whatever is happening in there you're losing a little bit of that once <laughs> it hits the cable unless you're using a monster cable um or just at least shielded cable i mean if it's if it's um what is it called in balance if it's a balanced cable of course mm-hmm. it's not gonna happen but this is the only thing I can understand. If it has some analog component that has to run warm and, oh, okay, that's okay. But really, reading runs and zeros. There's, there's just ones and zeros. Yeah. It either works or it doesn't. <laughs> yeah, right. I don't know. I, I don't, coming back to the CDs, I don't even, for the longest time, I didn't have a CD drive. Um, I wouldn't even have known how to play. Uh, a CD and I don't have remember a that, anymore that to used to suck on computers like you'd put a CD <laughs> in and they'd be like well I don't have drivers for this <laughs> <laughs> now it's auto playing in Windows Media Player I don't want this do you want a WMA of the CD <laughs> yeah that's the oh man um, a friend of mine once gave me the whole discography of Depeche Mode and it's all in WMA and it still is <laughs> and I mean, now it's on Spotify. I don't care, but, um, and, and they're well encoded. It's not like they sound bad. It's just, uh, it just I know feels under, icky. I, yeah, it feels icky. I know it's an WMA underneath and, ah, uh, no <laughs> Pro- proprietary stuff. Uh. Yeah. So let's jump to our picks of the week. Yeah. Do you want to go first? Okay. Um, my pick of the week is Paul Thomas Saunders with Appointment in Samara. Uh, full disclosure, it's from my Spotify discovery playlist. Um, <laughs> I was on a train, just get, staring at the train, um, being hypnotized by, uh, by the landscape. And yeah, this song came up and it's so good. <laughs> it's just so good. Um, like, I mean, the chord progression is one of my favorites and it's, it's, presented very in a very simple way like there's a lot of embellishments it's just here's this chord progression and now listen to those awesome vocals and this awesome melody and for the vocals his voice is very edgy i would say but it's edgy, <laughs> it's edgy enough to be recognizable but it doesn't sound nasty it doesn't it's, sound uh tinny or it's, oh it's it's doesn't like the beatles edgy <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, uh, I mean, when I started listening to Alt J, it was like, well, he sounds different, but now I've gotten used to it, but it took some time. And with him, it's like, with Paul Thomas Sun, it's like, this sounds different, but I like it from the, from the first yeah. second. And, and also just the phrasing and the lyrics, like some, sometimes he's just doing something fresh and surprising, but it never sounds fast. Like he, he doesn't repeat the same pattern every time. But the things he's changing, it's it's always something that works. So here's a little sample of Appointment in Samara. Your heart, the 
huge amounts of reverb. So what did you <laughs> think of the song? This is a delightful song. And uh, I, I just, uh, there's such taste to every layer. Like the way it fits together is just so good. Like every, every, every part has its place and layers in really well with each other. Um, I, I love the contrast of the kind of scratchy lead vocals and the super smooth backup vocals that are really more <laughs> like a pad or an instrument. Yeah. And they're reverb to hell in a good way. Um, when those drums come in and they're shuffling immediately, almost like a, an oldie song, but in a different context, like I love that. Um, there's that tambo hit I wrote here. Like they, they have these spaced out, like totally isolated tambourine hits that are just, they just echo through the space they're playing in. And that, that just sounds wonderful. It's why you have a tambo for that reason. Um, there's just little, like it, it all fits together so well. And they, there's just these little touches here and there that make it special in every corner. And uh, one of the ones I called out is uh, around three and a half minutes into the song. Like, th there's elements of the music that are doing triplets in different parts of the song, but there's this one moment where they all do it together. Just, I think, just the once. I mean, I'd have to listen through again yeah. to see if they. It's and, kind of the the transition to the second repetition of the chorus there. Yeah, and I, I love it when music can do that. Like, here's a little special thing, and we're just gonna give it to you once. And, yeah. and like, that's it, just this moment. And so, um, yeah, this was a great song. Yeah. What I also liked about this triple part that you were just describing is so they, they, that's the second time they play the chorus and then they repeat it. So first time they just play it once and then they play it twice. So they do this triplet transition and then they leave out the one. So for a second, you're thinking, Oh, it's going down to the verse or to a bridge again, but no, they start again. So that's, that's what I meant with it's surprising, but it's not jarring. And it's it's a very fine line to walk with surprising people without it being <laughs> yeah. jarring. So what is your pick of the week? So um, I, a little out of character for me, I've actually picked a cover version of a song. And actually, this is not the first Radiohead cover I've actually picked. So never mind, I'm a liar. But um, this is a very different kind of cover. Um, so this is a, a violin quartet and uh, an arrangement of... Uh, Radiohead's song Reckoner. And, uh, I'm, you know, I would normally say I'm not big on the, a lot of these violin quartet covers of songs. They, they're kind of phoned in a lot, I feel like. And a lot <laughs> of like, please use me at your wedding. I'm nice and elegant, <laughs> but I'm a pop song too. Get it? Um, but, you know, so I'm, I kind of tune these out most of the time, but this one was felt kind of special to me. It felt like really well done. So let's, let's check out a little bit of Radiohead's Reckoner. So uh, it it almost sounds like the Chrono Cross soundtrack um, yeah. in some ways. Um, so maybe there's a little JRPG love coming out of me for this. But uh, and I also mentioned uh, some of the the pitch bending and, and sliding on the the melodic line reminds me of like there's there's a Celtic album of Final Fantasy IV music, and it just kind of has some of that feel a little bit. But um, 
I don't know. What do you think of this cover of Radiohead? I liked it. I know the original song enough to be able to recognize it, but not enough to be like, oh, so they didn't do this, which was in the original song. So um, from that point, I, I really liked it. Um, it sounded like uh, at, at first I didn't notice it was a cover. I just clicked play and it had it played until I noticed like hmm, something, something, I know something about this. Um, and to that point, I thought this sounds like an upbeat version of Godspeed You Black Emperor, which I had as a pick of the week a few weeks back, which is so depressing and <laughs> minor. And, and this sounded like, hey, they're doing something fun this time. <laughs> um, and what I also just noticed um, listening to it on headphones is that there's this percussion happening every once in a while. And it's all stereo and it's going back and forth on the right and the left. And um, I found that on... On speakers, it it kind of a little bit added to the atmosphere. While on headphones, it was a little bit distracting because it was too separated. Yeah, but that's just minor thing, and it, it's probably with those albums and those uh, string quartets, they just record in one take and uh, have that one performance, and there is a lot of mixing going on, which makes it uh, a little bit more authentic and raw. But in this case, like, yeah, those stick out a little bit, <laughs> at least on headphones. Yeah. So there we have it. Episode 45 of Bits and Pieces. Uh, you can check out the show notes for links to these songs and all the articles we mentioned at sunriserobot.net slash bits and pieces slash 45. And, uh, while you're there, you should subscribe. So if, uh, if you, uh, want to use a podcast app, these are available on, on your phone or tablet. Um, they can, automatically download new episodes every time we release and uh, that makes it easier to listen so uh, i use overcast.fm on iphone and uh, on android you could use podcast addict or pocket casts and uh, then just search for bits and pieces or search for sunrise robot you should be able to find our show and uh, uh, me and matt are both online on twitter so we love feedback or if you have any songs you want to share with us or topics you want to suggest uh, please hit us up on Twitter. So I'm at M Edwards Music. And I'm at Echolox, E-C-H-O-L-O-X. And uh, if you'd like to support the show directly, you can head to patreon.com slash sunrise robot. And uh, depending on the level you support, you might get your name mentioned in every episode. So some special thanks to Benji Robinson. We love you, Benji. Woo. <laughs> All right. We'll see you next time. Bye.